Joining us right now, a guy does a great job for SNY, covers the Knicks, the Nets, the NBA, Ian Begley. Ian, good to talk to you. How you been? Hi, Ian. How are you? Evan, Joe, what's happening, fellas? How are you guys? Doing all right. Excellent. Now, I want to start off with uh, you had tweeted out uh, the other day, the Nets are expected to do their due diligence on the possibility of hiring Greg Popovich. Sources confirm. All right. I think the Nets would know by now. This is where my mind is racing in. I feel like Sean Marks would know in this moment if Greg Popovich, A, wants to leave San Antonio and coach the Nets, and B, if the Spurs were willing to let him go. Like, don't you think that Sean Marks, who has a relationship with Pop, knows the deal, knows the landscape of this league, wasn't literally waiting for the Nets to be eliminated, which we all knew was going to happen eventually, that he probably has an idea on what that answer is right now? That's a great point, Evan. Yeah, I'm sure he has a really good feel for what it is. Uh, you know, maybe Greg Popovich wants to take some time after the season and kind of evaluate things. He tends to make his decisions on a, on a year-to-year basis with regards to coming back. He has said he wants to coach next season. Maybe he wants to take some time to evaluate things. But in my mind, what this comes down to is, of course, if you're the Nets, you want to go after Popovich. He's, he would be a tremendous, tremendous hire for you given where you are. And it comes down to if Popovich wants to leave because I don't see anyone in San Antonio, whether it's ownership or management, standing in Greg Popovich's way if he wants to leave the Spurs and come to Brooklyn. I don't see money being a hang-up here. I'm sure that Joe Sy would write the requisite check that it took to get Popovich to Brooklyn. And I don't think compensation would be a hang-up either. So I think it comes down to what Popovich wants to do. Maybe he doesn't know yet. Maybe he's just taking some time to get things sorted out. Well, you know, Joe asked me the other day, he said, would you give up like Karis LeVert for Popovich? I said, no, I'm not giving up a player like that. But the more I thought about it, I think you're right. And maybe I'm giving the Spurs too much credit. If Greg Popovich went to the organization and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to coach the Nets. I've given you a billion years of my life. We've had great success. I want to do Brooklyn. I would think the Spurs would say, well, that stinks, but okay. Like, are they going to really get into a food fight with Greg Popovich? No, especially if he says he doesn't. He wants to make this move. Why would they stand in his way? I mean, it seems to me that they're, if they're not on the precipice of a rebuild, it's easy to pivot that way. If you lose Greg Popovich, you can start over. And they've been grooming uh, at least one coach in their organization. I was told for a couple of years now uh, for the possibility of Popovich leaving. So. I can't see anybody over there standing in Popovich's way. And, and no, there's, I, don't, I don't think they say, no, we're, we want you to stay here, honor your contract. They would let him go to Brooklyn. I think it would just come down to compensation and how much they would demand of the Nets uh, to get Popovich to Brooklyn. So I think that's more the conversation here. It starts with what does Popovich want to do? I don't think it starts with will the Spurs let him come to Brooklyn? When you say compensation, because I mentioned this, Karis LeVert, I mean, would it be that kind of guy? I mean, would they, you know, would, would it be Spencer Dinwiddie? I mean, would it be that kind of compensation? Would it be draft choices? What, what would they want, the Spurs? My understanding is it would have to be picks. I don't think it would be players. So you're talking about draft picks. And, you know, we were talking about this a few months ago. We were talking about speculation with Masai Ujiri, who obviously was under contract with the Raptors and potentially coming to the Knicks. Yeah, I know that a couple of years back, there was an executive under contract. A team was interested in him. The team that had the exec under contract asked the team that was interested for two first rounders. So, you know, if that's the going rate here, you would expect 
the Spurs to at least ask for that for Greg Popovich. And that's a, that's a heavy price. But if you're the Nets, you're looking at this as championship or bust. You have yeah. Kyrie Irving, you have yeah. Kevin Durant. You bring Greg Popovich in the fold, you would think that you're giving yourself the best chance possible to win a title. So I would sacrifice those picks if it meant bringing in Popovich. So if it doesn't happen with Pop, and I would still lean toward it not happening. I give him a puncher's right. chance. I think I said yesterday maybe 10%, 15%, but I, I, that's still a low percentage of it happening. What are we looking at here? Because Jason Kidd scares the daylights out of me. I got to tell you, I loved him as a player, but the drama seems to follow him. I don't think he's a bad head coach. I mean, I actually thought he did a good job with the Nets the one year he was here. Ty Lue seems to make sense on paper because of the connection to Kyrie. Uh, where are you here? What are you hearing the Nets are going to look for when they finally name the head coach of this basketball team? Well, I think Jacques Vaughn is also going to get consideration there. I know we've talked about that before. So what it comes down to for the Nets is obviously you consult with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and that's not to say that those two will make the decision, but that's just the nature of the NBA and that's the nature of of this particular team and their timeline, you're going to consult with your stars on who they're comfortable with. So I think that's where you start when you talk about who they may bring in. You know, Ty Lue has championship experience, has success uh, coaching great players. So he checks off some requisite boxes, but there's going to be, uh, you know, significant interest in Ty Lue from other organizations, whether it's the Sixers, the Pelicans, uh, you know, maybe the Rockets open up. So, there's that uh, that dynamic there, but I think you look at the list of coaches available, you're going to want somebody with championship experience. You're going to want someone who can relate to these two players. That's one reason, though, that I think Jacques Vaughn even is uh, a, a longer shot than some people have uh, made him out to be because of the, the championship experience component here when you talk about this net coaching search. Vaughn's done a nice job with the players there, did a great job in the bubble. They played hard for him, but he doesn't have that championship experience. So I would be, I think, still surprised if they went that route, if they went Vaughn over other potential candidates. So last week, was it Thursday night, Wednesday night, whatever it was, as you were watching the draft lottery, the first thing you said was, boy, you know what? I think the Knicks are finally going to get the number one pick in the draft now. Like after 35 <laughs> years, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to move up, they're going to shock everyone, get the number one pick. Uh, yeah. Uh, so they get the number eight pick. What did the, and they actually go backwards again? It just—it's mind-boggling. Well, what were your thoughts when when you, you watch Leon Rose get a little indigestion? And I, as I said, as I watched that, I said, "Well, welcome to the Knicks, Leon. God bless." <laughs> you know what? You can control some things. You can't control the lottery, but it is just mind-boggling that 17 straight lottery appearances for the Knicks, and they haven't moved up since '85. And they've actually moved back, I think, in four of six, four of the last yeah. six or something four like that. Something like that. Right, right, right. So it's, it's, it, it is, it's mind-boggling. And I fear, uh, I feel, Joe, excuse me, for Nick fans uh, like yourself, uh, who just, you know, you live through these losing seasons. These last six years, you've had uh, almost 50-plus losses every year, except for this one, which they would have gotten there. And you hope for some luck in the draft, and you don't get it. Uh, but I think... One reason, I think, to hold out to some sliver of optimism here if you're the Knicks is it's not like this draft has two players at the top that are can't miss and then, it, you know, the talent falls off a cliff. If you listen to college people talk about the draft, if you listen to grassroots, grassroots people talk about this draft, 
you know, they say that there's, you know, an, an even amount of talent as you go through, you know, mid first round, uh, late lottery, that the, the talent level doesn't exactly drop off. It kind of stays at, at an even level. So if you're sitting there at eight, I think you have options because of the nature of this draft where if there's a guy you love, but you think he's going to be available later in the draft, you could trade down. You know, we've talked a lot about Lamella Ball and the Knicks. If they wanted to go that route and trade up, there's a team at the top of the draft in Golden State that I think will be entertaining offers to trade that number two pick. And if you want to sit at eight, their chances are you're going to get a chance to get a decent rotation player, a solid NBA player at that real estate. So I don't think it's the end of the world. Of course, if you're the Knicks, you want to move up, you want to uh, land the top pick and put yourself in the best position to push this rebuild forward. But I don't think it's the end of the world for them to land at eight in this particular year. And they do have an extra first-round pick from the Marcus Morris trade, and they've got the future ones from the Porzingis trade. So they've got the political, political, the draft capital, if you will, to make a move if they want. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So even though the draft is viewed as, hey, there aren't any franchise players in it, it's not top-heavy, it's all about what Leon Rose thinks. Do you get the impression there's anybody, whether it's Anthony Edwards, whether it's LaMelo Ball, whether it's Killian Hayes, whoever it is, is there anyone you hear they are gaga over that they would potentially trade up and use some of those valuable assets to go get a guy that they're falling in love with? You know, I've heard whispers from other teams about how much they like Lamella Ball. I haven't heard it from them. Um, but, it, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to say today that, yeah, 100% they're looking to trade up for Lamella Ball because I don't know that. But I, I do think that there are people over there that are fans of his one thing that we don't know, though, is what the price is going to be in, in a potential move up to the top real estate of the draft. And, you know, if you're Golden State and you're looking for a you know, veteran player who fits the timeline of Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and you're talking to the Knicks, the Knicks don't really have that player on their roster. So you probably have to get a third team involved if you're the Knicks. Um, so I think price matters when you talk about the opportunity to trade up. I do know there are fans of, of LaMelo Ball over there in New York. I don't know if they love him enough to sacrifice some of that capital that you talked about, Evan, and move up in the draft. Do you see the Knicks, and we're talking to Ian Begley of SNY, uh, talking basketball with him. Do you see the Knicks doing something stupid like, you know, uh, trading draft picks to get, like, veteran players on his team or a veteran no. player? I don't know. I don't think, you know, I, I think – Everybody knows, and they know that they're not in—they're not one veteran player away from doing anything. I think they're looking for young foundation pieces, young players to add to the core. They're not looking for, you know, a player that's getting ready to hit max free agency and going to be, you know, in his mid-thirties at the end of his contract. They're not looking for that kind of player because that player is not going to really move the needle for them. And so I don't see them taking those picks that they have or, or taking any of the, or the the two really young players that they have that people really like and trading those players for an established veteran. I see it as as more of trading those those types of pieces for another young player who's an ascendant star. I don't think you sacrifice those pieces for somebody who's going to be in the downside of their career um, when he's done with the Knicks, when you look at those you know longer-term contracts, players of that profile. 
And that's that's the fantasy. Like one of the names I heard, and I think it's kind of got out of people's minds over the last week because of how he's played is Donovan Mitchell. Like, oh, maybe Donovan Mitchell. He's a Met fan. You know, he's got ties to the area. <laughs> he's going to force his way out of Utah to come here. That just seems like a fairy tale. I mean, it just doesn't. Even Joe's laughing about it. So it, it it seems like the long approach. Who's next, Luca? Is he's coming? <laughs> yeah, yeah Luca's going to force, gonna force, force his way out of Dallas. Oh yeah, get me out of here. I want to play for the Knicks. But the key is, <laughs> yeah, does right. Leon Rose, who is making that jump from the other side, is he in it for the long haul? Because one thing we've, and I know it's not the same, Ian, I, I know this, but we are experiencing the Brody Van Wagenen era right now. And it feels like Brody has gone for the quick fix. That's the way he is GM'd. We'll see what his drafts turn out to be, but that's the way he's GM'd over the last couple of years. You got the impression, though. Leon Rose, and he's put together a pretty impressive staff. When you look at some of the guys he's hired for the front office, for the coaching staff, for Tom Thibodeau himself, like, it all looks good on paper. So he deserves a lot of credit for that, but you get the impression he is a long-haul guy with building this basketball team. Well, I'll say this, Evan. You know, I don't think we're going to see a Sam Hinkie-type approach here where they're going to, you know, want to win 17 games for the next two years and and solely build through the drafts. I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, I think what they're looking at is let's let's keep our assets, the assets we have here, and strike when the time is right, be aggressive when the opportunity presents itself. And, of course, any team would do that. But I, I don't think that we're going to sit here and, and be talking, you know, next June or the following June and saying, all right, the Knicks again are, you know, they finished with the worst record in the league. What's their odds of getting the number one pick? I don't think we're going to do that. I think he wants to be competitive quickly. Um, while at the same time, again, maintaining what they have to be in position to be aggressive if that trade opportunity were to come into play or to be aggressive, uh, you know, in free agency to maintain their cap space and try to be attractive with that young core, building that young core out. So, yeah, I don't see this as like a, a long, long, long-term rebuild. I just don't think they're going to do anything silly and, and make a move for a veteran player because they know that that's not where they are right now. So, Ian, who's coming out of the East? I mean, basically all the, the first round in the East is all done outside of Milwaukee, which will be uh, tomorrow. Uh, how do you see it playing out right now in the East? I mean, I still like Milwaukee. Um, I don't – listen, it's so, it's, everything is a little bit different in the bubble. Um, you know, I know from the start to start out, the shooting was tremendous, and it's a little bit different in the playoffs. But, you know, until I – I see evidence otherwise. I still like the Bucks uh, coming out of the East, and the West is 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 a different animal, and it's it's so fascinating to see those teams go through what they've gone through so far. But I don't think you can you can bet against Giannis and the Bucks yet. How about Chris stops? How about Porzingis? And he's I, not I know playing he's today, right? He's out today again. He's right? out. He was downgraded from questionable to out. Right, right. I, I'm sure he's really hurt, so I'm not sitting here mocking him being right. injured. Well, but he's hurt but, all the time. He's always that, hurt. Absolutely. That was the thing that I, I think was in my head and Joe said, too, when we talked about the idea of trading Porzingis, and it's been roundly criticized. People love to take shots at the Knicks. I do, too. I don't like the Knicks, but I also like being fair. I, I try to be fair. And some of the shots that have come their way about Porzingis in the trade – it's it's endless, but a lot of crickets lately because Porzingis isn't on the court. And that was the biggest fear I think the Knicks had and a lot of Knicks fans had about giving this guy a max contract. And look what's happening. 
Yeah, this is this has to be a serious injury for him to be out of this kind of game for them. This is not just knee soreness as, as they're terming it. It's got to be a little bit worse than that for him to be out because if he was anywhere close to playing, you'd have to think he'd be on the floor. And, yeah, this is what we talked about when he was here, just his body type and can he stay healthy with the, that body type and the way that he plays. And it's going to be an ongoing question that follows him until, you know, he shows that he's, durable and can remain healthy and I think that's that's fair when you look at that side of the trade but I think the Knicks deserve the criticism that they've gotten for the most part because they came up so empty in free agency last year because you're trading him essentially to put yourself in position to hit a home run well, last me, summer in free agency and they let me, struck let, me, out. let me let me ask you this because yeah. when they made the trade and it wasn't that this is what the Knicks were thinking. I was just saying this is what I was thinking. And I remember Joe and I talking about it. I said, this should not be about free agency. If you're making this trade about free agency, it's a mistake. It should right. be about that you've got a guy who you want to have as your franchise player, but you're concerned. You're concerned about giving this guy max money. He's already kind of been a pain in the rear end with his brunner, Giannis. And do I want to max out a guy who's coming off a major knee injury? It's not ideal. Ideally, Porzingis was going to be here for the next 12 years. So if that was your concern, and I think that's legitimate, doesn't it then make sense to, hey, maybe we should trade him? Maybe we should explore getting assets back because we are not sure we want to max out a guy that we're not positive has the ability to stay on the floor consistently. That rationale is absolutely sound, Evan, but I think the rationale back then was more, hey, we, we got Porzingis to demand a trade here so we can tell the public he demanded a trade and we have an opportunity to attach contracts of Courtney Lee, excuse me, Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway to this trade and the opportunity to open up max space to go after two max guys. So I think that's really the problem that the thinking was more about credency last summer than it was, you know, big picture doubts about Porzingis because if you have those doubts, don't you take, you know, more than, uh, a, what was it, three hours before they got a deal done? So wouldn't you take some calls from teams and see what you could play off of these teams to try I to get it the hope, best offer possible? You know what I, I mean? Would, if it wasn't I, about... Yes, yes, but I would hope. And I don't know, I'm not in the room where it happened, which is a great song. But I would hope that that's already, that already happened. Like, it wasn't spur of the moment... Porzingis is miserable. Let's go rush to trade him. I would hope that there were discussions with many other teams, teams on his list, teams not on his list, before they settled on making that deal. I would hope. I think there there were talks, but there were definitely teams at the time that wanted to get involved in the discussions, but did not get involved in the discussions in a serious way before the Knicks pulled the trigger. So, I'm yeah, I'm sure that there was homework done and there was an understanding of what the market would be but I kind of think that the Knicks wanted to get it done as quickly as possible in part to avoid any negativity you know off-court circus characterizations that kind of thing from people in the media but I think they did them at this themselves a disservice because I know there were a couple other teams that wanted to be in the mix there and, and weren't able to so that leads you to think that maybe they could have gotten a better return than they did. In uh, it's kind of a crazy question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. When do you see next year starting? Do, do, do you see next year starting like maybe January, February, something like that, uh, as far as the NBA season goes? You know, Adam Silver is on record as saying that getting fans in the building is, is a priority for them. And I don't think that anybody over there expects fans to be in the building for the opener. But I think the idea is 
what percentage of the season can we get where fans are going to be in the building? So I think they're going to push this back as much as they can. Uh, you know, some people have thrown out the idea that they're waiting for Christmas to be the opener. And I think that would be, you know, uh, obviously good for TV purposes. But if you're, if you're starting on Christmas and you're not going to have fans in your building for another, you know, two months, whatever it is, you're losing a significant amount of revenue. Silver has said that I think 40% of the league's revenue comes from these gate receipts. So I think they're going to do everything they can to push the season off to have the most games possible out of 82 in arenas where fans can be there. And no one knows the answer to that, but I think that's the framework of that question. Yeah. The one thing we know is that the December 1st opening is certainly not happening. No, that that right. initial idea no. is certainly not going to happen. No. Mm-hmm. We will see. Mm-hmm. Ian, uh, always great talking to you. We appreciate it. Always good, Ian. Thank you, fellas. You guys take care. You All too. Right, Ian Bagley on the Nets and Knicks as they are now officially in their offseason.